0: Welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to click the link to my other podcast. It covers brand new movies that are out in theaters. It is called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. And you can find that link at my website, Quipster.net. Today, I'm going to be getting into the second part of a three part series looking at comedies of the 1980s where there's a bumbling detective as the main character. Last week, I looked at a Pink Panther film from 1982 called Trail of the Pink Panther, and this week, I'm going to continue on in that franchise with the only other film from the 1980s that is in the Pink Panther series. It is called Curse of The Pink Panther. It came out just a few months actually after Trail of the Pink Panther. It's a 1983 film. It's PG rated. It does have brief nudity, comic violence, and language. The runtime is an hour and 49 minutes. Ted Wass is the star. Herbert Lom, Joanna Lemley, David Niven, Robert Wagner, Leslie Ash, Capuchin, Robert Loja, and Roger Moore are in the film. The director is Blake Edwards and the screenplay credited to Blake Edwards along with his son Jeffrey. Now, the biggest novelty of Curse of the Pink Panther, which coincidentally happened to be the original title that was meant for 1978's Revenge of the Pink Panther before they ended up changing it, the biggest novelty is that it attempts to introduce us to a replacement for the Inspector Clouseau character. Clouseau, his beloved portrayal Peter Sellers, had died in 1980. That didn't stop them from making another film with him using outtakes and clips from his older films in Trail of the Pink Panther, They dabbled with Dudley Moore as a potential successor, whether playing Clouseau or appearing as a different character, but he would not agree to do more than one film. He was riding high after his film Arthur, so he didn't want to get involved into getting typecast into this other franchise. Rowan Atkinson was given a look by Blake Edwards. However, MGM ended up refusing that choice because they felt that Atkinson was unknown outside of the UK at the time. So then he ended up looking at John Ritter because he was doing a lot of slapstick on TV, but Ritter was committed to doing Three's Company at the time that they wanted to film. He would later work with Blake Edwards though for his 1989 comedy called Skin Deep. So the studio ended up letting Blake Edwards choose a relatively unknown American actor Ted Wass. Edwards enjoyed seeing him on his appearances as Danny Dallas on the TV sitcom Soap, and he was willing to work very inexpensively, which MGM did like. Blake Edwards had already tried to do a spinoff film from the Inspector Clouseau series of Pink Panther films. It was going to be called The Ferret. It was originally meant to star Dudley Moore, who was interested at that time. And it was going to be a slapstick spy caper in the Harold Lloyd type of cinema. So a little bit more slapstick than the Inspector Clouseau films, a little bit more stunts and daring do, and a lot of emphasis on comedy. As part of Blake Edwards' penchant for in-jokes, a side character that kind of represents Dudley Moore in his recent role in Arthur, shows up early in Curse of the Pink Panther to proposition the main protagonist, Ted Wass, who is working undercover as a prostitute in his introductory scene. It's a very minor part, but definitely a wink and a nod to Dudley Moore there. Now, to Edwards, Ted Wass looked very much like a modern version of Harold Lloyd. He had his eyeglasses on. And this new protagonist called Clifton Slay, that was going to be a Blake Edwards' chance to continue the series in the mold of those Harold Lloyd comedy adventures. Now, for most other audiences, however, Ted Was does end up coming across like Christopher Reeve did when he was bumbling around as Clark Kent in the Superman films. A lot of people will mistake Ted Was as Clark Kent because of that. Christopher Reeve just appeared in his own slapstick-oriented Superman film called Superman 3. It was just released into theaters just a few weeks prior to Curse of the Pink Panthers, so that was kind of a curse in and of itself. We never get to see Ted Wasp play anything close to someone resembling Superman, though. Wass held a certain vulnerability that Blake Edwards liked in his demeanor. Edwards felt that it would make his character likable throughout all of his foibles. And One key difference that we learned early on is that Clifton Slay may be dumb, but he's not smug. He's not overconfident like Inspector Clouseau, who would often try to cover up his mistakes as if he meant to do them all along. Slay accepts and admits his weaknesses, and yet he perseveres, and we like him for it. As far as what the plot of the film is, if you want to call it a plot-heavy film at all, Was here, starring as this New York City police sergeant called Clifton Slay, he ends up getting selected by this Interpol computer that is selecting the second best sleuth in the world in order to use to find the missing best sleuth, Inspector Clouseau, of course, except Clifton Slay is not the best, as Chief Inspector Dreyfus deliberately sabotages the computer to try to find the worst detective on Earth and to assure that Clouseau is actually never found. Meanwhile, Clouseau is actually still alive, we learn early on in this film. He's in the care of a health spa operator called Countess Chandra. Chandra aims to change Inspector Clouseau's looks through plastic surgery for her own devices that may evolve the Pink Panther. Meanwhile, the criminal element of the French underworld try to take out Clifton Slay himself before he can find success in bringing their nemesis back, Inspector Clouseau. They don't want him brought back to the world because he foiled their plans time and again. A Curse of the Pink Panther was made concurrently with its predecessor, 1982's Trail of the Pink Panther That was done in order to minimize cost. They used many of the same sets, the same costumes. A lot of the same actors are doing double duty here, as well as to assure some continuity in the handover of the series from Inspector Clouseau to Clifton Slay. Blake Edwards even had the notion of putting all of these sets, these props, these costumes in storage so they could end up using them for future releases and save even more money there, although the intent would be that the series would be moved to America to follow Clifton Slay and his circle of cronies and coworkers after this film. This would serve as the final film for most of the characters that were introduced throughout the Peter Sellers era of Pink Panther films. Edwards would have also handed over the series to other directors after this one. He wanted to turn out one new entry every three years. He would serve only as executive producer and be the main guiding hand through the stories, but other people could be telling those stories. That was the intent, anyway. This film would come out eight months after Trail of the Pink Panther's December 1982 release. And the main difference is that Trail's runtime consisted mainly of outtakes and clips taken from prior entries in the Pink Panther series. Curse would be a completely new adventure through and through. Now, most of the supporting cast of Trail of the Pink Panther ended up returning, but with expanded roles due to the extra screen time that they were allowed because they weren't competing with a bunch of clips of Peter Sellers. As with the case of Trail of the Pink Panther, the ailing David Niven here returns. He gets top billing, by the way, for this film, despite being in the movie only a couple of scenes, maybe about 10 minutes or so. He still ends up getting dubbed by Rich Little because he had weaker vocal cords that resulted from his affliction with ALS. Joanna Lumley also returns into Curse of the Pink Panther, but she appears to be playing a different character than the investigative reporter for Trail, She dons this black wig, and she's playing this countress named Chandra, who's running that health spa in the Mediterranean. In this way, Blake Edwards is kind of using these casting nods to suggest that his themes of the interchangeability of actors and their characters, anyone can play, Anyone at any time, and they can be replaced by anyone else or play multiple roles over time, just as David Niven once played Sir Charles Lytton in The Pink Panther, and then he was later replaced in another film by Christopher Plummer, and then now Niven is back again in both Trail of the Pink Panther and Curse albeit with Rich Little's voice, so he's not altogether here either. Niven would end up dying just a couple of weeks prior to the release of the film, unfortunately. Ted Wass was given the keys here to the franchise, despite being untested as a leading man in films. This really is his first feature film. He signed on for a six-picture deal. He must have impressed Blake Edwards quite a bit to get that. Wass is certainly a likable enough actor, and he's game for whatever Edwards is willing to throw at him, but he does, unfortunately, lack the dynamic physical gifts of Peter Sellers to play funny characters and to offer any kind of nuance in his slapstick performance. Wasp doesn't even quite register as a leading man here. He gets lost amid a bevy of supporting players who end up offering a lot more screen presence and they end up stealing the movie from him time and again. Wasp never really gets to stand out here, despite some amusing set pieces that are set up for him. And despite signing this multi-picture contract, this would be the first and the only turn in the Pink Panther series for Ted Wass. He would continue to find success on TV after his appearance here, He's especially known to a lot of people today as the dad on the hit 90s TV show called Blossom. Wass would end up retiring as an actor after finishing his stint on Blossom in 1995, and he has primarily worked since as a director for hire for a slew of TV shows henceforth. Maybe like 40 different TV shows are credited with him directing one or more of their episodes. Now, those set pieces in Curse of the Pink Panther do offer some pretty funny sequences. Clifton Slay here visits Professor August Balls, played by Harvey Corman. Balls once supplied Inspector Clouseau with a variety of wacky disguises in other films, and he gives the New York detective the final one that he made for Clouseau before his disappearance, this instant diversion kit, which is really nothing more than an inflatable doll, a woman, ...meant to serve as a companion. There are a few comical sequences involving that doll... ...and Slay trying to hide the fact that his companion is indeed artificial... ...and that's further complicated when the doll ends up springing a leak... ...caused by this hole burned into her upper thigh that requires him to blow it back up once in a while while out in public. You can see the looks he might get there. Other highlights include a wacky car chase that involves one car getting turned upside down as it is careening down the hill. And there are a plethora of sight gags that result that will remind a lot of people of Harold Lloyd. In fact, there's a taxi driving sequence that features Babe Ruth, the baseball legend, in his silent film from 1928 called Speedy that a lot of people will draw some parallels to. One of the other novelties of Curse of the Pink Panther is that we get a new actor to play Inspector Clouseau. Yes, Clouseau is actually in this film because he's undergoing plastic surgery. The plastic surgery makes him look like, well, it's kind of a spoiler, I suppose, but he ends up looking like Roger Moore. Obviously, an in-joke by Edwards due to Roger Moore's having replaced Sean Connery. In the James Bond series, but it's even further an in-joke if you consider that David Niven had played James Bond in the 1967 version of Casino Royale, as did Peter Sellers for a period as a decoy, James Bond. The film also seems to lift some elements from Roger Moore's Bond films, especially Moonraker with its use of the ominous giant head costumes at a carnival parade. That last aspect spotlights another motif in the film, the use of false likenesses, because Inspector Clouseau's apartment has been turned into a wax museum full of him in many of his disguises. And you got the carnival heads and the inflatable woman There is also an inflatable duck in this film. That's a decoy in itself. And Clouseau himself and his plastic surgery also could be a decoy as well. They had initially attempted to keep Roger Moore a secret, crediting him in the credits as Turk thrust the second that's a reference to a pseudonym used by an actor named brian forbes in a shot in the dark he was Turk thrust roger moore doesn't get his name in the credits but it was pretty much given away at the time of its release that he was in the film moore ended up shooting his scenes at pinewood studios while he was on a break from shooting scenes making octopussy for mgm edwards and mgm offered moore a hundred thousand dollars a day to take up this role. And he was expected to be shooting for five days. So Moore had been very much looking forward to earning a cool half million dollars for just a couple of scenes in this film. But they ended up working more overtime. He worked till the wee hours to get all of the scenes done in one day. They didn't even let him do a lot of double takes. They just shot whatever they could while he was there and saved another 400 grand, I suppose, by not using him In the rest, Inspector Clouseau is not particularly important to the overall picture here. He's used here primarily as a MacGuffin, and that hinges all of the set pieces upon his appearance. In essence, that's another one of Edward's commentaries on his own series with these two films that he did back-to-back. Trail of the Pink Panther asserts that a character like Clouseau can never truly die as long as we have the movies to see him in, while Curse of the Pink Panther states that despite Clouseau's continued existence— In the Pink Panther universe, the series still can go on without him being relevant. Now, as with Trail of the Pink Panther, Edwards wrote the screenplay with his son, Jeffrey. Critics and audiences complained about Trail of the Pink Panther not completing either of the cases that were set forth by the plot. We don't learn much about the whereabouts of either the Pink Panther jewel or the man hired to find that jewel who ends up going missing, Inspector Clouseau curse of the pink panther though we the audience get the answers to both of those questions right away but they're not discovered by the man on the case clifton slay through the course of this film and that renders dreyfus finally successful in thwarting the progress and the advancement of a bumbling detective in the end curse begins and ends with callbacks to the original pink panther film from 1963 that's an homage to the fans who've stuck around through the series that long Trail and Curse were given a combined budget of $17 million. About a third of that went to Trail, which needed a lot less because half of the film consisted of already filmed scenes, and the rest went to Curse of the Pink Panther. And the reviews for both films were considered lackluster at best. Trail and Curse were by far the worst performing films in the franchise financially. Trail of the Pink Panther made $9 million, and Curse of the Pink Panther made half of that, $4.5 million that's far short of expectations, given that the prior seller's film in the series when he was alive from 1978, Revenge of the Pink Panther, that one made nearly $50 million in the United States alone, the most lucrative of the film. So they were really looking forward to continuing the series. You can chalk up commercial interests, though, as to the reason why Curse of the Pink Panther would end up failing. MGM did not want to give much funding to the most lucrative franchise That they would inherit from their acquisition of United Artists. They also nixed the selection of a truly gifted physical comedian with a penchant for zany characters in Rowan Atkinson because he was only known to Brits, and yet they ended up agreeing to select Ted Wass into this six picture deal, despite him being completely unknown, even among Americans, so he had no clout around the world at all. They also followed up Trail of the Pink Panther, which was mostly compiled with bits that were thrown away from prior films, with this sequel that hinges on having seen trail of the pink panther to make any sense few people did see it in the theater and vcrs were only starting to become much more commonplace in homes, so not a lot of people would end up renting that film within the eight months between the release of trail of the pink panther and curse of the pink panther so that further doomed it and of course blake edwards makes the ultimate mistake here in thinking that people actually come to see all of these pink panther films for reasons that had little to do with peter sellers which, if any of the films made after his death have been any indication, is completely misguided. They came to see Sellers and laughed their butt off at his performance. The fact that they thought that the audiences would want to see Inspector Clouseau live on as an evil guy with a different face and different demeanor, retaining that terrible accent and none of the charisma, that only served to add insult to the injury for longtime fans who truly cherished the character and his portrayer over the years. It was kind of a slap in the face to many of the fans in that way. Financial matters would only get worse after the release of both films. The widow of Peter Sellers, Lynn Frederick, I think it was his fourth wife, she would end up filing a lawsuit against the makers, claiming that the late actor's contract never explicitly allowed them to use his excised footage from his films for Trail of the Pink Panther. She asserted that they could not use or profit from his posthumous likeness. She reported that they sought to use the footage as early as three days after the death of Peter Sellers. She had opposed it at that time and continued to oppose it, but they continued with making the film despite her objections, which she felt would have been echoed by Sellers himself if he were able to contest. The case would end up being heard in 1985 in court, and it was ruled that the production of the film had violated the performer's Protection Act. They ended up awarding Lynn Frederick $1 million. However, she still was frustrated because she could not stop the film from further exhibitions. So she was awarded just under a half million additional dollars for compensation. So almost $1.5 million for The Widow of Peter Siller's for damages there. Interestingly, Blake Edwards ended up filing a lawsuit of his own to the tune of $180 million against MGM UA and its chair and CEO, Frank Rothman, because he claimed that they forever hurt the reputation and the viability of the franchise because they bungled the marketing for Trail of the Pink Panther and Curse of the Pink Panther. Edwards contended that the studio did it in retribution of... Edward's support of ex-studio chief David Bagelman in this arbitration hearing earlier that year, he contends that they chopped out over half of the $3.5 million that they had verbally agreed that they would use to advertise the films, and they would not let him out to use another distributor to handle the films who might have done a better job— Edwards asserted that they refused to do press reviews for the film, that made the critics think that the studio had something to hide in releasing it into only half of the theaters customary for a major release. It had little to no fanfare leading up to it. MGM UA barely promoted the film, and then they stopped advertising it at all before its run was close to completing. They even ended up putting it on double bills or dramatically reducing the number of theaters that it would perform in, and that further cut into the potential profits. The studio ended up rebuffing all of these allegations. They claimed that they put as much effort as they could into the films, but the public did not seem anywhere near as interested in seeing the series continue without Peter Sellers, so they weren't going to throw good money after bad. MGM would end up filing a countersuit of its own against Blake Edwards for $340 million, claiming that he fraudulently overspent on the budget that he was given, not only for these two films, but 1982's Victor Victoria charging up to the studio for his own lifestyle choices. Edwards would follow up with his own lawsuit after that with a $400 million libel suit in response to their allegations of fraud. So we were getting into billions of dollars on the line from Blake Edwards and his studio, Their disputes would end up getting settled out of court. And meanwhile, Edwards would remain locked into this dispute for control of the Pink Panther franchise with MGM. That forced him to stay away from doing any more Panther films until the studio had a new chairman who would end up greenlighting 1993's Son of the Pink Panther. That one starred Roberto Benigni as the son of Clouseau. Obviously, with the potential to resurrect the franchise with him, it would end up being a bigger flop even than Curse of the Pink Panther. It took in only 24 million dollars in 1993 money and that effectively ended any further attempts by Blake Edwards not only to continue the Pink Panther films but to make any further films at all altogether it would mark the final effort in his long and illustrious career that's a lesson to be learned here putting curse in your title tends to become a self-fulfilling prophecy so Two stars is what I'm going to give. Curse of the Pink Panther. Two stars on my scale means that it's lacking something vital that would keep it from being a film that I could wholeheartedly recommend to most people. And that thing that it's lacking here is just a consideration for this franchise that's not done for monetary reasons. If they had really done their research and tried to find somebody who could replace Peter Sellers that was just as talented and that people would accept over time, they would have done themselves a lot better than Ted Wass. I like Wass. He's likable in the film, but he is definitely dwarfed by all of the other talent on the screen and he just was the wrong choice and from there everything else fell apart so unfortunately it's a big misfire from Blake Edwards to try to resurrect a series into another series two stars out of four is the best I can give Curse of the Pink Panther unfortunately even though there are a few funny moments Thanks everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review, even though I didn't have a great deal to say. I hope that you enjoyed all of the trivia and some of the history of the Pink Panther series. I'm not going to cover 1993, Son of the Pink Panther. It's not a direct sequel to this film or any of these Pink Panther films, so I'm going to end it right here, even though it has the same director. It's into the 1990s, and I will end it there. The next film I'm going to be covering, the third and the final film in the bumbling comedy detectives, is from another series... It's actually the first in what ends up being a trilogy of comedy films, which is not always common. It is from 1988, and it actually spun off from a television show called Police Squad. It is The Naked Gun, starring Leslie Nielsen as Frank Drebin, a film I've seen, oh gosh, I must have seen it 20 times over the years, but I haven't seen it in a long time, so I'm very much looking forward to catching up with that again today. I wonder if it's got a lot of dated jokes, especially when you deal with O.J. Simpson being in the film, so... A lot of interesting material to delve into there. The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad, 1988 film. I do recommend you check it out if you haven't done so already. It's hilarious. And you'll enjoy watching that for next episode. If you want to get in contact with me, you can find my contact information at my website. You can find links to my Twitter feed, my Facebook page, my Instagram. You can follow me all there or send me a note. A lot of interesting different material that I post there as well. Go to Quipster.net for all of the details. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R. Net. And until next time, thanks everyone for joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies.